everybody. Hello, Bo. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Uh, go and find a seat if you uh, don't have one yet. Um, or if you're like, man, I can't sit, that's okay too. You know, it's all right. You don't have to sit to listen. Uh, at least I don't think. Uh, you're a teacher. Is it true? Do you, can you have to sit to listen? I feel like teachers are always like, sit down, quiet. Depends. Depends. <laughs> yeah, depends on the child, I guess. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. It seems helpful. Thank you, Sarah. Well, welcome, everybody. Hello. My name is Brian. I'm uh, glad that you're here. Tonight, we're um, starting a new series, um, and it's just this week and next week. And, and it fits so perfectly with the fact that we're doing baptisms. And I just think it's neat how God works. There's times where Sarah and I and Brian Howard and Jake and we make plans and we orchestrate. And there's other times where like things just happen. And it's like, wow, that just makes a lot of sense. God is good. And tonight we didn't plan for baptisms to be tonight um, and to be talking about this idea of letting the nations be glad, of, of missions, of evangelism, of seeing people come to Jesus, come into the family of God, into his church. Um, but baptisms so perfectly fits that because we're celebrating uh, that, that someone has come into the family, that someone has come into the, the knowledge of the glory of God. And what a wonderful thing to get to do, to get to celebrate together. Um, and it's just cool that we're doing that tonight. So if you have your Bible with you, um, we're going to be in Psalm 67. I think it's up on the screen already. No, not yet. It will be in a moment, I think. Uh, so, Psalm 67, uh, we're going to be in verses 3 and 4, we're going to look there, and it says this, Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. What a cool thing. That's so cool. Let the nations be glad. Let the nations sing for joy. Uh as we come into this, as we talk about this tonight and next week, I just want to set the stage for all of us of what exactly is it we're talking about. Because when we talk about missions, when we talk about evangelism, it's so easy to, to think about that as, as a task we have to accomplish, something that we have to live up to, uh, uh, something we have to achieve to, to, to qualify, to make it to a certain rung or level of status in God's kingdom or in his church. And I actually just want to break that all down tonight. But that's not actually what it's about. It's not about achievement. It's not about doing things for ourselves or our own glory. It's entirely about surrendering to him, to, to knowing the joy of the Lord ourselves and letting that overflow from us. And that's what draws people to him. That's where everything starts. That's where it all starts. I think this idea of, of, the, of joy and gladness and praise is God's very heart. It's, it's what he desires for each and every one of us. Deep down, he's like, this is just, this is what I want for you. All the things that I'm doing and speak and, and, and call you into, it's because I want you to understand the fullness of praising me and how good that is and the joy and gladness it will bring into your life. It's what he desires for us. He desires that the praise of his name will spread to all peoples and that his joy and gladness will fill the earth. How cool. 
Think of joy and gladness filling the earth. That's not what's happening right now, but, you know, that would be pretty cool. Like, instead of, it's elections happened, right? So there's a lot of people, like, finger-wagging and angry and being like, I told you so, and other people like, what's up? Now what? You know? <laughs> like, and, and ultimately, I just think it's so cool that God is like, he's like, man, you guys, you're kind of missing it. <laughs> It's not about smirks and frowns and saying, that's right, I'm right. It's the life that he desires for us, that he created us for, is a life of smiles, a life of, of warm hugs. <laughs> I'm trying to think of Christmas things. Like, you know, like, that stuff that's just so like, oh, you know, a nice cozy blanket and hot chocolate. Anyway, <laughs> that's, I'm getting lost. I don't think that's actually what God does. I mean, God wants that for us, but... That's not necessarily how life is. But ultimately, what he desires is that, like, think of a world overflowing with joy. Think of going into uh, a preschool and no one's crying. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> joyful. And they're just laughing and some are playing and make-believing. And you're just like, man, the silliest, like, the simplest things are just so joyful. They saw their friend come in and they run to them and they're like, you're here. That's what the earth should be filled with. That same spirit of joy and gladness, to praise God's name, to fill the earth with his joy and gladness is the outcome of the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission, if you don't know, is, is uh, Jesus at, at the end of his earthly ministry. He, he's speaking to the disciples in Matthew 28, and he gives them this charge. He gives them this, this call, and it goes like this, Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is Jesus talking, not me, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Now go. I, I, I love it. It's like Jesus is just saying, look, guys, I'm the king of the universe. I'm the king. Now, go tell people what kind of king I am. Now that you've walked with me, now that you've seen me and, and experienced life with me, go tell people what kind of king I am, that they may understand what this life is about, that they may understand who the king of the universe is and what this life is meant to be. We get to tell people about the king that's good news, isn't it? Such good news to tell people about Jesus, the king, and all about what kind of king he is. Let the nations be glad. Why? Because Jesus is king. That's why the nations can be glad. That's why we can be glad, because Jesus is king. That's what we proclaim. And like... The idea that Jesus is king and what kind of king he is is, an, is like an eminently shareable and doable thing. Uh, at the core, it is to rejoice and be glad in God ourselves. Now, I think this can often get missed because we like to make things about what we can do or have done, like I said earlier. We make it about performance. We make it about achievement, what we can do. We like to take the credit. We like to earn rather than receive because then we feel better about ourselves. We feel like we're worthy. 
Rather than just accepting, he's said you're worthy. He made you worthy. And this is an imminently shareable thing. It's not a burdensome command. It's anything but that. At the core, it is to rejoice and be glad in God. Now, the highest fulfillment of the Great Commission is for the overflow of our joy and delight in God to compel us and equip us to invite more and more people to know and enjoy Him with us. I'll say it again. The highest fulfillment of the Great Commission is for the overflow of our joy and delight in God to compel us and equip us to invite more and more people to know and enjoy Him with us. It begins with knowing and enjoying Him ourselves. And from there, that is the motivation that draws us into calling others into it. But also that is the actual tool, the power which, which brings people to Jesus, is our enjoyment of him. Uh, what, what, what could be more powerful than somebody giving a testimony? Like testimony is the most powerful thing. That's why it says, by the testimony, by your testimony and the blood of the Lamb, we will overcome the gates of hell. It doesn't say by your salesmanship. We're not called to be salespeople. We're called to be testifiers. And you can't testify to something you yourself have not experienced. We have to know God. We have to long for him. And if you're like, man, that sounds great. I want him, but I just feel lost. I feel like I don't know how to do that. Well, I'm, I'm going to talk more about this in a bit, but I'll just give you this one thing. Ask him. I think a, a, one of the most powerful prayers I heard, uh, and it like exploded my mind for a moment, was, uh, maybe it still does, is, uh, I think it was Mother Teresa, I don't know, probably many people have prayed this, but I think I read about Mother Teresa, and I was like reading a prayer that she prayed, and she would pray every day, and at the heart, like the key line was, I want to want you, Lord. Help me to want to want you. And, and that just like set me free, that like, wow, I'm a divided person. And it's okay if I like, feel like I should want God, but I don't really want him. And, and, and it's okay to be so weak as to say, I know what's best for me and I just don't want it. I know you are the best. I just gotta be honest with you, God. For some reason, I don't want you, so help me just to want you. What a vulnerable thing. God will surely answer that prayer and help. So it's good right? The message we get to share, it's good. And I'm going to talk more uh, about kind of what that looks like. But first, I, I want to um, set the stage and, and talk about the kingdom and talk about the church, and because uh, this is really important. If, if we're going to call people into faith with God, we've got to recognize that we're not just calling them into relationship with God. We're calling them into the church. We're calling them into the kingdom that he has established. And in this age that we live in, in this era of history, the people of God participate in the kingdom of God in the context of the church. Now, as Christians, we're not just entering into a restored relationship with God, but we're also entering into a new community, a new family, which is the church, and the new reality, which is the kingdom. In the book of Matthew, chapter 6, Jesus, he's speaking to his followers and he, he gives them instructions on, on how to pray. 
Uh, he's like, hey, when you pray, pray like this. He kind of gives them a roadmap. And, and this roadmap isn't so much about praying a prayer that God will respond to as it is about giving us a clear concept of what the kingdom is about and what it is we should actually desire, what it is we should actually be calling for and praying for. It's to align our hearts so that our prayers are aligned with God's will. And here's what Jesus does. He starts the whole thing. He sets the stage. This is the, is the, is the, the foundation of what it is that you should have your heart set on and desire. It starts like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom of God is the pinnacle of life. The kingdom of God is, is, is this imminent rule and reign of God, that he is in charge. And three things I'll just say about this, and, and it's that the kingdom of God is the imminent rule and reign of God wherever we are, wherever he reigns, wherever he is in charge, that is his kingdom. His kingdom is in that place. So it's anywhere that God's will is done. It's anywhere that God's values are embodied and expressed, anywhere that God's supremacy is honored. The, the kingdom of God looks like all three of these things, all three of them, not just one of them, all of them. And those things are, are not fully present here and now in this world. That is not fully present right now in your life or mine. Not on earth like it is in heaven. That's why we need to ask for it. That's why we need to seek it. We are all suffering because these things are not present here on earth in completeness. We are all suffering because of that. And God's desire is that, the, that, that we would be redeemed from our suffering and from our causing others to suffer, redeemed into his glorious kingdom where suffering is met with comfort and brokenness is met with healing and wounding is met with mercy and grace. As the story goes, the rule and reign of God is present in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And, and you know, a special aspect of the kingdom is, is that love abides in the kingdom because God is the kingdom and he is love. And, and his love does not force itself upon his creation, but he offers himself to his creation, the most vulnerable thing. He offers himself to his creation, letting us reject or receive him. And Adam and Eve, they spurn God's perfect love, and, and this in turn brings discord to, to all relationships. It starts with them and God. It brings a conflict. It brings something that is out of alignment, and then it, it's between the two of them. They start blaming each other, and then you see it's with creation. The, the broken relationships are present between humanity and God, between uh, us with one another, and between us and creation. Things broke. People broke because we reject the kingdom. And that brought with it escalating suffering and death. And the reality of the kingdom of God was, was no longer perfectly expressed in creation, no longer perfectly experienced by humanity. Yet God, yet God, in his unlimited kindness and, and mysterious mercy set into motion a plan to once again bring the joy and gladness, there's those words, of right relationship back to his creation. To, to reestablish the kingdom in the hearts of humanity once again. 
And it began uh, in a recognizable way, at least in my opinion, uh, in the most obvious way, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the, the patriarchs of Israel, of the nation of Israel. It continued with the, the fullness of the nation of Israel. And then you got Moses, and you got the law, you got the Ten Commandments, and then you got the kings and the prophets, and, and all of this, all of this is, is, is an aspects of God's kingdom are being manifest. Aspects of God's will being done are being brought onto the earth in different ways. But, but the coming of Jesus, with the coming of, the G, of Jesus, the, the kingdom is, is reintroduced to fallen creation in, in a unique and, and really important way. I love how, uh, honestly, I don't know if this is a dude or a, a woman, uh, you can put the quote up. I don't know if the name's on there. And they must be, I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce this name. Grame? Grame. Might be a dude, might be a girl. Don't know. Yeah. But the last name's Goldsworth, so that's pretty cool. So let's say, uh, I should have just put the last name. I love how Goldsworth puts it. Doesn't that I sound smart now? Well, not anymore. I, it's too late. That ship has sailed. Okay. So Goldsworth writes, like this, talking about the kingdom. The kingdom means that everything in creation relates perfectly. That is God in, as God intends it should. Everything relates perfectly. Everything relates as God intends it should to everything else and to God himself. To this end, the incarnate son of God, that's Jesus, conquers death and sin, restores humanity to the kingdom, offers forgiveness, and he advances the kingdom in triumph over death itself. Jesus' arrival on planet Earth inaugurated the kingdom on Earth. His death and resurrection opened the kingdom for humanity. And the bestowal of the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit, advances the kingdom in the hearts and lives of mankind. We live in this age. The age when the kingdom of God has been inaugurated on earth, has been opened for humanity by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of the broken, and is actively advanced in the hearts and lives of mankind by those who receive the Spirit and let him have his way with them. Uh, recently, I heard someone say, uh, it was a small group leader, uh, my small group leader, and I was like, man, that's good. He either read that somewhere or the spirit moved because that was a good line. He, he talked about the Holy Spirit and so many times. Sorry. We, uh, <laughs> well, you might be praying. You might be like, oh, spirit, I want more of you. I want more of you. I want more of you. But the reality is you have all the spirit you'll ever get. The fullness of the Spirit rests in you if you've put your faith in Jesus and you continue to walk in that. You have all the Spirit you'll ever get. The only thing that might change is that He can get more of you. He can have more of you. That's at the core of what this is all about. The kingdom is about letting Him have more of you. Where was I? <laughs> it's so good. It's just so good. If only we'd get this. It's not, it's not in any way to draw us away from God, but in every way to draw us towards him. It's not in any way to, to pull us away from things that are good, but to actually walk us and guide us into the things that actually are good, that are beautiful, that will bring us joy, that will bring us gladness. The more we let go, the more we gain. 
the more we gain, so long as it's God that we're letting go, entrusting to. So, I, this is another line that I thought was really good. Uh, my small group leaders, why? Being a small group. Uh, it's not just improvement, but transformation that God is after. Like laws can improve us, but relationship with the Spirit transforms us so that we may truly live and love like Jesus. As Christians, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God in this dark and broken world. At least that's what God intends for us to be. That's what he desires for us. That wherever we go, the realities of the kingdom, of right relationship with God and with others might be experienced. And this is the mission of the church. This is the mission of the church. And I also just want to say, like, Jesus came to earth. He came to earth because we needed to see what the kingdom looked like. We needed to see what it looked like. Like, no explanation was sufficient. No law was nuanced enough. Humanity needed to see it. And so he came. And he showed us what it looks like. And then he made a way for us to participate in it by giving us the power and wisdom and companionship of the Holy Spirit so that we may actually live the kingdom. The mission of the church. The mission of the church. You're here in a church, and uh, when I say here in a church, we can often think the building, right? But in the church is actually the community, the body of believers. It's the people. This burning building can burn down. Actually, it wouldn't. It's like all cement. <laughs> but maybe an earthquake or something. Um, whatever it is, we, we don't need the building. We just need each other. Recently, some of us went up to Mammoth, and we were in this random cabin, and it was like, there's church, man. We're there. And the Spirit was there. And God met us, and we worshiped. And the same is true wherever you go, where two or three are gathered, there is the church. Where two or three gather in his name, there is the church. And so the mission of the church, the body of believers, not the organization, not the structure, but the body of believers, the mission of the church is to build disciples of Jesus who, like him, carry the kingdom to a broken world. So that wherever we are, God's will is being done on earth like it is in heaven. And all who have come across us may experience joy and gladness as God intends, may see right relationship and the fullness of life. This is the purpose of the church. This is the purpose of the church, and not just this church, right? We're part of something way bigger, uh, it, we we hear like this is Westlake Village, right? This little community we have here on Thursday nights and, and on Sundays and within this church is rather small, actually. It's a local and historically specific expression of the grand family of God. We are the people of God here tonight. We are the people of God, but not hardly all of it. Rather, there are and have been and will be to come Christians who, who gather to worship and to be formed in the likeness of Christ from every nation and every era. When, when a Christian in northern India prays for God's people to be brave and to revel in the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, no matter the circumstances life might bring, he's praying for you. He's praying for our brothers and sisters in, in East Africa, for, for those in Papua New Guinea and in Ireland, See, there's a global church that goes far beyond our style of worship, our customs, our culture. 
We are a part of the church, the big C church. We are a part of it, but we are not the pinnacle of it. I think that's something we can often get confused or think, even within our just our own region. You might go visit a church and you're like, man, this place, because it's all old people and they sing hymns. That is beautiful. If only we would recognize the fullness of the church is expressed in the multitude of it, not just in us and the way we do it, but in the fullness of it, the full expression of it in every culture, every season. Likewise, the union of the church spans the centuries between Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and his eventual second coming when every knee will bow and all things will be judged. Like we are in the age of the already but not yet, where where God's kingdom has been inaugurated. It has been opened for humanity and it is advancing, but it is not yet brought into perfect completion. We all know that because we walk in this world and we experience the suffering and brokenness in it. This is the era of infinite glory mingled with mortal suffering. It's the era of the church. Where, where those who know Christ and the power of his resurrection also share in his sacrificial suffering so that more may come to receive mercy. This is the era we live in. This is the age of the church uh, that we has been marching along for 2,000 years. And we're connected with every child of God who has walked the earth in that time. We're connected with the Apostle Paul. We're connected with those to whom his letters are written. We're connected with the deep lovers of God who express his kingdom through the Middle Ages and to those who will one day in a future yet to be walk in the light of his glory and grace. The global and and generational family of Christ followers is the church. It's the people, not the building. It's it's, it's, It's Christ who unites us, not the organization. It's bigger than either of those things. And so when we share the gospel with somebody, when we baptize, we're not baptizing them into Calvary Community Church. We're baptizing them into something much bigger, much grander, something that spans millennia, something that has so much nuance and flavor that we can't hardly fathom it, that literally God has expressed himself on the earth. And to understand the fullness of that expression, we've pretty much just got to arrive in heaven. Because in heaven, we'll all be there. And it'll be colorful. <laughs> like if, if in heaven we arrived and, and if God had just orchestrated the world so it only looked like the African church, the East African, because at least I've been there so I know what it looks like. It's wild. It is a hoot. It's like long, super long services. And you never know what's going to happen. And things are all over the place. And it's like chaos, but it's also like just total joy, just overflowing joy. And if we got to heaven and it was only the African church, well, that would be awesome. But it would also be chaos, which is not our God. And if we got to heaven and it was only the Anglican church of England and it's structured and it's regimented, and things have a proper place and an order and a way of doing things. And we got there and there was only the Anglican church. Well, then where would the joy be? But literally God's fingerprint is upon the earth and it's the whole earth. It's the whole church. It's those people from the Middle Ages that were like, man, you dress funny, but they love God. 
and we are united with them. And when we get there, it'll be beautiful because we'll see God in his people. We baptize people not into this place, but into that church that is so much bigger. We don't try and replicate ourselves, not for a moment, not for a moment. We're trying to point people to Jesus and let him make them their glory selves, whatever that may look like or be. He knows better than I do. I'm not trying to make you like me. That's foolish. I just want you to look at Jesus and let him tell you, let him speak to you. So, together, we are the body of Christ. We are his hands and his feet living and expanding his kingdom and its values and realities to more and more people until the day he returns and abolishes death entirely and wipes the earth of anything contrary to his rule and reign. And that day is going to be so beautiful, so beautiful. The day when he brings everything together. Until that day, though, we have the great honor of bringing the light and life of his kingdom to those in darkness. Going back to Psalm 67, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let the peoples praise you. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Two things I want to say out of this. One, worship is supreme, not missions. Worship. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their knees before the throne of God, missions will be no more. Evangelism will have run its course. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. The second thing is that joy and gladness. The joy and gladness we invite others into flows from the joy and gladness we ourselves have in God. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Psalm 69, let the oppressed see it and be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Psalm 70, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. What better message is there than this to bring to people? Be glad in God. Rejoice in God. Sing for joy in God. This is what God is calling us into. Gladness, rejoicing, singing, and all of it in him. Because as John Piper puts it, and this is rich, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. God loves to exalt himself by showing mercy to sinners like you and me. And the liberating fact is that the message we take to the streets is that people everywhere should seek their own best interest. Have you thought about that? To seek God is to seek your own best interest. And that's what we're calling people to. That's not a scary thing. (laughs) To go to someone and be like, man, you know, I just want the best for you. We're just, we're not calling them to, to just like give up things and, and abandon stuff. We're calling them to gain everything, to actually gain what matters, to actually live a life of restu- restoration, a life of purpose, a life of value, to, add, to have a life that where relationships can actually be, be, be mended back together. We're calling people to seek their own self-interest. What a crazy thing. And your best interest is complete surrender to God. And their best interest is found in complete surrender to God. 
We are summoning people to God. And those who come and say, in your presence is fullness of joy, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore, God glorifies himself in those people. He glorifies himself among the nations in those people. So delight yourself in the Lord, my friends. His first and great requirement of all people everywhere is that they repent from seeking their joy in other things and begin to seek it only in him. The great sin of the world is not that the human race has failed to work for God so as to increase his glory, but that we have failed to delight in God so as to reflect his glory. For God's glory is most reflected in us when we are most delighted in him. And the most exhilarating thought ever is that God's relentless purpose to display his glory in the mission of the church is perfectly aligned with his purpose and his desire to be infinite delight to his people. Psalm 67, let the people praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. This, I believe, is the fruit of a life lived in God's company, a life ransomed by Jesus and enraptured by his love, a life surrendered to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, a life so full of love for God that every breath is an act of worship. Blessed is such a person, for they shall know joy evermore and gladness unending. This is a great motivation to invite others into his kingdom and into his church and the power with which we can effectively do so. To delight ourselves in him is the first step to fulfilling the Great Commission. It's the first step. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, right here, right now, we get to fulfill the second half of that verse. We get to celebrate the expansion of his kingdom in the hearts and lives of those getting baptized tonight. And that's pretty awesome. So uh, Sarah, Pastor Sarah, is going to come up. She's going to lead us through that time. And man, this, this is a wonderful night. A wonderful thing.